G'day and welcome back. Darren Mitchell here. I thought I'd just drop in before we press play on this particular episode. As you'll hear in the first 30 seconds, it has taken two years, but we finally got Tiffany Cook back on the podcast. Tiffany, if you don't already know, is a highly successful podcaster in her own right, running the highly acclaimed Roll With The Punches podcast. She's an absolute weapon when it comes to podcasting and success. Uh, she's also a boxer, a coach, and a public speaker as well. So if you haven't yet plugged into the podcast, Roll With The Punches, I highly recommend that you do. And uh, in today's episode, we delve into beliefs and how powerful beliefs are, whether you're a sales leader, a salesperson, a person trying to make their way in the world, or trying to create some sort of uh, legacy within the people that you actually hang around with. Today is an episode not to be missed. So as always, in the show notes, if you want to connect with Tiffany, please check out the links in the show notes. And uh, hopefully you enjoy the episode and listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed having it. So without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Now it is. <laughs> We're now recording. <laughs> We're now live. Well, it's uh, it's been two years in the making, and uh, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leadership Podcast, uh, the one and only Tiffany Cook from Roll With The Punches. How are you, my friend? Well, questioning right now, questioning how I've managed for the second time to land on a podcast that's got the word exceptional in it. Well, uh, only only great people get a second dig, oh, and cool. um, and there's only a, a very, very small number that's been able to come back. Um, so you are an esteemed company, but um, I did want to get you back because a lot's happened in the last couple of years, and uh, rather than saying I've been stalking you, <laughs> I've been following. I've been following your progress. And for those of you who are listening right now, if you're not a subscriber of Tiffany's Roll with the Punches podcast, please do yourself a favor, as the world famous Molly Melbourne would have said, uh, and jump on board because you talk, you talk to some phenomenal, phenomenal people. Um, and I was just looking this morning. I think you're up to something like episode 738 or something. Is that, that right? That is correct. That is correct. That is insane. Crazy. Now, on this this particular episode will be six hundred and forty nine. So, um, uh, but you you uh, last year you just went straight past me, <laughs> straight past me. <laughs> I was doing five a week. I was I was racing yeah. you, <laughs> making yeah, sure just... you couldn't catch up. Six. It's it's a quite a massive number though. And I mean, yours and mine. A lot of people just. I mean, the majority of podcasts. I think it's ninety percent or something thereabouts. Don't ma- make it to ten episodes. Yes. Yes, and the, the study is that most, if not, well, something like 99% of podcasts on, say, iTunes haven't been updated in the last 90 days. So it's uh, it's a staggering, staggering statistic. In fact, I had a couple of people last week just say to me, hey, you, you've done over 600 episodes. I think you must be one of the only sales guys that has done so much in that period of time. What What is going on? And so I, you never run out of things to talk about, but um, I'm also conscious of the fact that you you won't necessarily always talk to the same person. So whilst you might have the message that you spoke about three years ago, there'll be somebody listening to it today for the first time. So rather than them miss out on 
that'll go back to the episode three years ago, talk about it because you might have a slightly different perspective as well. So um, we just keep talking. We just keep doing it. And when you talk to great people, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? So true, isn't it? Like I think about that when I reflect on the number of episodes and go, well, 700 and so how many topics in the world could there be? Like what are we talking about? But it's like when you reflect, have you changed? Have you seen a change? Have you realised a difference in your standpoint or your delivery or, or some sort of a skill set that has evolved? It's interesting you say that. The answer is yes. I listened back to my first three or four episodes when I started, and, and back then I thought, you know what, I've been I've been coaching, I've been running workshops, I know how to speak. <laughs> and you listened back to it, and it was like it really it was really stiff, really proper. You had to. Um, the allocution had to be perfect. And it, it sometimes felt as if, and I wasn't reading it, but it felt like, you know how sometimes when you listen to somebody, it feels like or sounds like they're reading something. It was just, it was just too not genuine. Um, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how it, it does evolve, but I think what it's helped me, and I'd be interested in your take on this, talking to people in a Zoom situation, or in fact, I know you do a lot of um, individual podcasts as well, just, uh, you know, short fire, 13-minute, 14-minute type things. Yeah. Um, talking to a microphone for that period of time helps when you then articulate a message to a wider group, whether that be crystallizing the message or just how you use your voice in those situations. So it's a good lesson in how we evolve over time, but you do have to sometimes go back and just to realize and appreciate um, how far we've actually come where you don't necessarily realize it in the process. And there's probably a good lesson there for, for everybody, whether it be podcasting or doing anything, um, you're never actually going to arrive. You're always in, on the process of improving. 100%. I recent, Late last year, I re-released one of my really early episodes because I kept pointing people back to it. And I realized that on some apps, it's hard to see. You have to actually scroll and scroll and scroll. You can't do a, a search on the title. So I was like, yeah. I'll re-release this uh, so it's closer to the top. And, oh, like listening to myself, it was episode nine and I was like, oh, dear, me, really? <laughs> and it's almost, I couldn't tell you what, it, I mean, there's a, a big change in vocabulary and my ability to articulate and thank you to all of the incredible researchers and academics that have just come on and, and helped me evolve that mm. part of my use of language and understanding, yeah. but also... I don't know how, but I sound even more bogan before than I do now. I was like, who is this chick? And how did how did she ever get some of those names on her show? Wow. <laughs> Wild to listen to. <laughs> it's um it's so funny. In fact, as you're talking, I was watching as a bit of a seg uh, off the tangent here, but I was watching the Big Bash cricket final last night, and there was an ad that came on between the the two innings, and it was Shannon Knoll doing an advertisement for some big-ass shed company in, in Australia. <laughs> I turned to my wife and I said, oh, my God, imagine if we were watching this from America and we listen to Shannon Noel where he's got the Aussie twang, but he's got the, the voice tone that's really, really accentuated in terms of Aussie. Mm. I think, man, that is, he is the quintessential Aussie bloke. Do we sound like that? It's funny, I'd... um. Peter Levine on last week. He's um, he's 
he invented um, or was the founder of somatic experiencing. So he's one of the top, probably I would say one of the top three in that kind of somatic therapy world, you know, a lot of content out there. So I was very chuffed to get him on. But first, first words out of his mouth was, oh, we're, we're speaking to an Australian. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's so obvious to them. I don't, I don't think I notice accents quite as prominently in person as I do yeah. when I'm editing later on. There's a very yeah. different experience for me. So I can often have to ask, oh, where are you from? Rather, yeah. Whereas when I'm listening, that's which is weird in itself, isn't it? It it's is. It's like watching television. If I hear an Australian on television, it's like, what is that? But well, I can hear yeah. them every single day of the week and not respond like that. Exactly, exactly. And case in point, there was a, there was a show we were watching um, just recently, I think it was on Netflix, and there was, oh, that's right, it was Sam Worthington. There was a movie we watched the other day, and Sam Worthington, the Australian actor, was in it, but he was in it as an Australian, part of uh, like CIA or something like that, in an American movie, but he was playing an Australian. And you had to listen twice and think, hang on, is he talking in an Australian accent? Because most of the Aussie actors, actors put on an American accent for that particular marketplace. Mm. So it does, it stands out. But you're right, when you talk to them face-to-face, -face, you don't even think about it. Like a lot of a lot of my recent interviews are people from the States and you don't even think about it. Mm. Um, and then people listening to that probably from the States probably recognise, oh, this person's from North Carolina or this person's from California. So they'll be able to indicate, get the indication of the different um, inflections of the voice, probably similar to what we do in Australia. People from Queensland are probably talking a little bit differently than people from Adelaide. And people from Melbourne, but um, as a podcaster, we just we're just having conversations with people, so I don't really yeah. spend a lot of time thinking about it. What's interesting, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about what you do, and I'm thinking about how we there's a level of this that becomes uh, unconscious. There's an unconscious competence. It's like people skills or people's ability to to be who they need to be for different people, which is mm. a skill set as a sales leader you would be working with, mm. and. Even just having an awareness on the stuff we're reflecting on right now in something like sales or anything where you're you're trying to connect with people, even having an awareness on this is pretty pretty poignant. Like you you kind of need to, don't you? You do. You but do. there's there's those people, and you're probably one of them, there's those people that naturally do. Mm. And then there's the which I always find a bit weird sometimes when you have to teach something that feels like it should be natural. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. And sometimes we can take that sort of stuff for granted because we we will go into a room and you'll see this when you do keynotes. And so if you go into a room and you'll just do your thing, right? Because that's just innate. But it's not something that's necessarily you were born with. You've learned through through being coached, being mentored, by observing, by practice and stuff like that. But there are others, unfortunately, that are not as emotionally intelligent. So they, whether they say the wrong thing or they, they're inappropriate for their body, whatever the case might be, they've got to bring some conscious awareness to that. So they might find out in those situations that they are consciously incompetent versus yeah. hopefully where we're getting to is being more and more unconsciously competent. So we can just go into a room and we can read it and we know what's appropriate and we just do it. Yeah. And when people ask you, I'm, I'm interested in your take on this, when people ask you, how do you do what you just did? So, for example, I'll, I'll often do a, um, a workshop and I'll have some key notes or some key, key dot points, but I won't have a script, right? Now, there are a lot of sales facilitators and sales trainers and probably other trainers out there that have a regimented program they have to follow 
and it's almost like it's scripted. I have to be at this place at this time. I've got to say this at that point. I've got to throw in this metaphor. I've got to throw in that joke. Um, it's very, it can come across as very canned. And mm. so some of the feedback I often get is when I go and do that, I'll have a flow, but I won't know what I'm going to necessarily say day to day or minute to minute because it's going to depend a lot on the audience. And so that's what I consider to be a high level of competence, but it's knowing your content, but being able to adjust based on the audience and what's happening in front of you. Yeah. That was 100%. That was probably for me when it came to speaking and presenting, which I always loved. It was the, the, by far the biggest struggle for me was going how to, because I'm not one to just remember, like I love knowledge and education, understanding and the stats and the facts and the things but I can't remember them. And especially in a, that when I first started speaking in moments where you get a little bit of nerves and anxiety or an environment change and you're like, yeah. what all that, I know all this stuff, guys. I just don't know what it is right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know where it is. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, there's, there's some really thought. cool stuff. I just don't know how to make it sound, you know, beneficial to you right now. <laughs> what, another thing on kind of similarly, I found it interesting. Recently, I talk a lot. I mean, I'm really vulnerable on the show and vulnerability is something I talk about a lot with people and and I encourage. But I have a similar awareness around how to be vulnerable and what and understanding the, the intention, right? So there's, there's oversharing mm. or there's being open and vulnerable, but I, I think the context and the intention takes a huge amount of self-awareness. And then I, I unpack that a lot and I think about it. And as I'm doing it, I reflect and go, what if you just think you're self-aware? What if, what if you're not actually, what if you don't do what you think you do? Like, I think I understand it. I think I have yeah. a knack for it. I think I do it well. I, under, I have seen examples where people overshare in a way that's where it's not comfortable or, or healthy or doesn't bring in the desired I guess response. Yeah. There's a difference if that makes sense. And then, yeah, and then there's that but what if you just think you, you know? Remember when you just thought you were independent and strong and resilient but really you were just like fearful and unaware and dissociated from traumas and things <laughs> and you know like you grew up I grew up 29 years thinking one version of tith this loud mouth thing, this facade that I put on. I thought that was me. Yeah. And then, but underneath that, there was this whole other thing going on, and it's like, oh well, is there another level of that? And maybe there is, or maybe there's not. But it's you, know, you and I teaching something to other people with an yeah. awareness, but still room for error. How do we get that understanding across? It is. It's a really fascinating thought process because, I, and as you were talking, I'm thinking of the the metaphor of the onion. And we all have layers of the onion and what we think is the onion may not actually end up being the onion. And in order to get to the onion, you've got to peel away the, the, you I guess, cry a lot. And stuff. You've got to cry a lot. <laughs> a lot make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> make a lot of mistakes. Um, which, which is what I'd love to sort of delve into. Cause for those of you who have listened to the first episode and if you haven't, please go back. March 11th, 2022 is the episode with, uh, with Tiff, Tiff Cook. Two years ago, I cannot believe it. Time has just absolutely flown. Um, so for the listeners, Tiff, you are a uh, you started out in sales. You started out living in Tasmania, came across to the mainland, um, got into all sorts of stuff, got into um, uh, boxing at a late late twenties. Yeah, twenty nine. Right? Yeah, twenty nine. 
um, have owned gyms, had COVID um, squash in some respects, that that challenge. So you talk a lot about vulnerability. You talk a lot about um, resilience. And I love to just draw on your experiences really from a leadership point of view and some of the things that you've learned over the last couple of years in particular with the, just the, the sheer volume of people you've been talking with from different backgrounds and different genres that you can sort of take forward and, and share with people. Because if there's one thing that, and look, we're not going to talk about sales per se, but if there's one thing I do know, in if anybody's in sales or in sales leadership, you've got to build a thick skin. You've got to always be searching for the next opportunity. You've also got to realize that you never, ever arrive. So building that resiliency muscle is absolutely critical. And you often talk about, and you say this literally, not so much every single episode, but you always make reference to getting punched in the face. Do you know how many times Facebook's banned me because I've made reference to that in a post <laughs> and it goes against community guidelines and I've been oh my God. bloody shadow banned? And yet, what else? What else do they allow to be on bloody yeah, Facebook? I know. Let's, I be, know. let's be serious. I'm like, guys, um, I'm a boxing coach. <laughs> <laughs> Sport. <laughs> so, for you, for you, as we, because I'd love to delve into some of the the key um, interviews you've done and some of the key lessons. But if there was an overarching, I guess, thought or lesson for you in the journey you've had so far, and you're by no means anywhere near the the ending of this journey. Mm. Around you know resilience and adversity, vulnerability. What what's at a really high level? What's some of the key, I guess, lessons you've learnt from talking to all these people? Whether it be about you or just about the human condition. Or I think one thing that I've been thinking and talking a lot, and maybe ranting a bit about lately, is this idea of the answer. Um, and I I often get myself in paradoxical bloody mental gymnastics <laughs> when I think of things like this. So the idea of searching for answers and thinking and believing that someone's got the answer and and they'll tell me. And when you think about yourself or things you want to overcome, so always searching, well, I just need to resolve this thing about myself and then I'll mm. be in inverted commas fixed, whether that be a professional skill set or a goal or a or self-sabotage or maybe an actual, you know, looking at, life and trauma and anything in the past you want to resolve. And, you know, I've spoken to all of these experts around the world and actually there's there's evidence, science in inverted commas, for and against everything. Yeah. So I talk a lot about I, I choose my beliefs because the truth, the truth is different for everybody. Reality is different for everybody. What you choose to believe has an effect on your physiology and your mental outlook and, and your behaviours and your actions and how you experience the world. So rather than just ch choosing to believe every conversation I've had with anyone, which I can't because I, I get opposing people on talking about opposing ideas. And I like to go, hey, what about, and, and get them to stand at the intersection of that and give me an idea of what they think about these two things. And yeah. the people I trust most are the people that say, I, I don't know, or there's, we're not sure. There's mm. there's no real answer. It, it could be, but we all could be wrong. So I talk a lot about that. The, yeah, the, I used to look for answers, and I think for certainty, because it's one of the, the human core needs is certainty. Mm. Now I, the, the paradoxical part of that came in when I was like, well, why are you still talking to experts? Like, why are you still trying? Why are you still seeking information and in inverted commas answers? Yes. And it was because now... 
I thrive on the curiosity. I, I thrive yeah. on possibility and learning and evolution. All of this has evolved my mind as a person. It's evolved yeah. how I interact, who I become, how I see the world and the thoughts and ideas that come into my head. So it's not about being true or fixed or the answer. It's now just about what out of all of this can I implement or take on board in order to make life better or yeah. more interesting or yeah. more curious or better for someone else or yeah. understand a different perspective. So through that process, and you said something really, really pertinent there, and that is we all choose our beliefs. And sometimes those beliefs are, I guess, projected onto us by those who are nearest and dearest to us. And probably when we're a kid, we go through that um that first iteration of like a sponge. We don't question things because our mind's not ready for it. Um, what have you learned about yourself in terms of, yes, we choose our beliefs, but how open are we now and how open are you to realize, you know what, the belief I have today may not actually be the belief I have tomorrow because if I'm hang because you see these people that are hanging on for dear life to their belief that this must be true. And if this isn't, if this is not true or it's proven to be not true, then literally my life is over, and everything I thought that existed is is a is a lie, right? Because um, you also mentioned in the same conversation there curiosity, yeah. And so my my belief is if you are insatiably curious, then you are open to having your beliefs adjusted, and not therefore not I don't want to put words into your mouth, but not being so wedded to your beliefs that this is who you are, because sometimes people's beliefs point directly into their identity as to who they are or who they think they are. Yeah. And so from from your perspective then, dealing with people and now entering conversations with people who may have diagonally opposite views, probably based on science, and there's probably enough evidence to suggest that, where do you sit now in terms of this concept on belief? And does the ability to change your beliefs still, for some degree, give you a level of certainty? I think... I'm very aware that I believe <laughs> that <laughs> we often we often don't even recognize perhaps our beliefs. Some of our beliefs are so deeply embedded in our subconscious mind, and that's where the sticky point is for me. You know, I look at ideas and theories and you know one I talk about a lot is money, money and finances, and I think that that's a it's fascinating topic. And I mean, look at sales, and you, I reckon you'd learn a lot about people and their relationship with money. Yeah. And I think it can be tied into so, like you think about money, you you can get security and certainty and power and connection and and all of these needs met, and some of those are some pretty they're tied to basic human needs mm. and so has i would suspect that i have some some connections with money that that have come from from life like security like the need to be secure and independent and i see my behaviors with how i am with money and my need to have a certain level of security and certainty with that and that comes, that is deeply tied. So the idea, sometimes I speak to someone who, you know, some lady who had bloody got 
went and caught wild camels and spent a year trekking through Australia. And, and it's like, oh, kind of this life that we live doesn't have to be, like, I think I'm doing it so different, but I'm still paying rent, doing the things, you know, like yeah. I'm still living 90% the same as most other people. I just, I just don't have a boss and go to work at 9am and wait for the bell to go for lunch. Like it's, it's still very same and there's very different ways to do it. But then I go, something in my body says, no, nah, you would not be able to sell up everything, catch a wild camel and spend 12 months just trekking across like it'd be too much. I wouldn't come back to no cert no financial certainty. And I yeah. think that's tied to independence and it's tied to security and it's tied to maybe abandonment and these whole probably range of deep things that, and I don't even know if it is or not, like maybe it's not, but I think yeah. about those things a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Did I go Absolutely. on a tangent that was remotely related to your question there? <laughs> well, it, it points to, I mean, we've all got our own frame of reference, right, which you can point to and connect to. We all have certain beliefs. We have certain yeah. beliefs about how the world is. Um, and Because if you if you didn't have different beliefs, then you wouldn't have people that are going to vote for Donald Trump to be the next president of the United yeah. States, right? What is going on with the world? But that's my belief, right? So we all have these different frames of reference. Um we sometimes get in our own way, I think, right? So when you look at that lady who trekked across Australia with those camels, I mean, she's probably thinking, well, for her, there is no risk because my belief is, you know what? I'm resourceful. I'll find a way. There'll yeah. always be something because I'm doing something good. There'll be an opportunity that presents itself. I just have to be visible to it and open to it. Yeah. However, that opportunity is going to present. But if we're coming from a frame of reference where we have to have certainty, right? We have to know what's going to happen hour to hour to hour, are we going to get that paycheck at the end of the month or the end of the quarter or the end of the fortnight, whatever the case might be? Mm -hmm. And if that's not there, then all of a sudden our frame of reference is distorted and maybe our access is now off. So we're now looking at things completely different, which, by the way, creates a completely different view of what we think reality is. Yes. Somebody else looking at that exact same situation says, that is, that is for me, that is utopia. Yeah. Yeah. But which one's real? Well, that was kind of my experience when we when we went into lockdown and I started the podcast and then after a few months realised that, oh, this thing has hit the charts. I've got thousands of followers. It started from nothing. I, like I had no expectation. I wasn't tracking this thing to be a successful. I didn't think. I thought, gee, if I'm still doing this in a couple of years, maybe there's this slight chance that I'll be able to monetize it. Eight. Eight weeks in, I had sponsors and I've never been yeah. without sponsors since. And it was reflecting on that, I went, if I had of, if that was my plan from the start, there's no way I would have continued it or achieved it mm. because all I was doing was I'd let go of all of that focus on return and money and thing. And I just went, this is such a blessing yeah. to the, I'm learning skills, I'm building a brand, I'm in control of all of it amazing people are connecting with, with me and I'm learning and no one, you know, if COVID steals my house and everything that I own, then they can't steal the skills that I'm learning. So that's, that's all I focused on. Um, so that shift in circumstances and belief system, but not, not didn't take that long for that old belief system, that old relationship with how I work to come in and start. And, and now the two of those often are pushing on, the other, like yeah. the idea of 
creativity um, and having the space to create and just being able to, you know, chase the red thread as one of my former guests called it, chasing the red thread to where your passion might be. Yeah. You don't leave the space for that in your life because you're just chasing the dollars or doing the thing. It's it's a really hard thing to manage. And maybe playing it safe. It's it's funny. I'm I'm probably I'm just trying to think. This June this year will be nine years since I left corporate, right? So a similar a similar path to our friend Mark LeBusque, right? So um uh but even today, <laughs> even today during the day, I sometimes get the guilt trips to think, you know what, I shouldn't be sitting here playing with the dog, or I shouldn't be sitting here having a conversation with my wife or watching a bit of TV or reading a book, because it feels as if hang on, I need to be working because these are work hours, right? Mm. Even when I'm still work, walking the dog, which I was this morning after nine o'clock, I'm thinking, people are going to be looking at me and thinking, is that guy unemployed? What's he doing? That's mm. <laughs> <laughs> just, which comes back to a belief system, right? So it's it's yeah. almost this ingrained, and I spent 20 plus years in corporate and it was almost this unconscious thing that you get up, you go to work, you're at, at the office at eight o'clock, you're still there at six, seven o'clock at night and you keep doing it after and after hours, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But still nearly nine years after, it's still something I'm still grappling with and still working on. Oh, big time. My first jobs were in hospitality and I was a weapon. I was great at hospitality, but I was, I, when I moved to Melbourne, I worked my butt off and work ethic, Tassie work ethic, especially in hospitality, Compared to Melbourne work ethic, I was like, oh, well, people don't want jobs or work hard here. Like I worked so hard. And yeah. every moment when you're in hospitality, you are you when you're you're not standing still ever. There's someone to serve, there's work to be done, there's stuff to do. And then I remember having a conversation with one of my high-level sales friends, and I'd been I'd taken on I don't know, I think it might have been my, I think it was the last sales job that I had. And I said to him, I was having a bit of a chat about, I feel, you know, sometimes I feel a bit bad because I feel like I'm taking the piss. Like I, it just feels like an easy job. Sometimes I leave work an hour early and I go get to training and I'm like, I feel bad about that. And he's like, mate, you're a sales rep. You're doing what 90% of people won't. You're picking mm. up the phone and you're, and you're getting through yeses and nos and you're opening doors and you're asking for sales. He goes, are you making sales targets? I said, yeah, I'm doing great. And he's like, it's not about your time. Like you, it's about your performance. And I, uh, that, that conversation impacted me so much because I just wasn't even aware that I had this belief around yeah. time that didn't apply in the space that I was then. Yeah. Yeah. Hard it's to shake. It's, it is. And it's something we're working on. All the time. In fact, I was speaking on my on this podcast to a guy called Dr. Noah St. John just before Christmas. And he's he's written something like 25 books. He's is the he's the mental health coach to all the Hollywood stars, right? And he's he's talking about the fact that most people are driving it's a metaphor. Most people are driving a car with one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the gas, right? Oh, sorry, one foot on the brake. And so they they have this belief that they can be successful. They go to all the gurus and buy all the courses and do all the self-help stuff, but nothing changes because of their ingrained uh, beliefs that they have. And sometimes it comes back to their, their self-worth and think, you know what, I don't think I'm worthy of that opportunity because I don't come from the, the right side of the tracks or insert any other excuse there. 
And it's until we actually deal with those subconscious and unconscious beliefs and change them or start start to move them away from what we believe to be true, do we start to take the foot off the brake a little bit? It was a fascinating conversation. Oh, big time. Big time. One of the biggest workshops I ran, I ran a, a lot of them in that time of COVID when we were locked down because we had the time and it was amazing. Um but the one that went nuts was self-sabotage. Yeah. So I was like, hey, all right, I'm doing this pod. I'm going to do this 90-minute workshop on self-sabotage, do a little bit of spruiking on it. Next minute, the Zoom room was full. I couldn't believe it. There were some people that showed up in my world that I thought, oh, they're there to, I don't know, I think these guys are here to check out how I present and for whatever reason, it, like and then I find out, yeah, I'm like, oh, they're, they're, this is some profe- there's some professional reason behind why they're here. They're kind of just, they're seeing how I perform. They were, I find out later, they were, they weren't, they were there to learn and go through their own stories of self-sabotage and what mm. is it? Yeah. Yeah. How, how much of that then is linked to imposter syndrome, right? And how many of us have the the thought process that on the outside I'm portraying the fact that I'm on this, I'm the chief executive officer of that, or I'm the on this service provider. But internally I'm thinking, if only they knew, if only they knew. And through that thought process, which is backing back linked to the to the belief system we have, we tend to end up doing things that sort of regulate back to what our beliefs are. And that's where a lot of the self-sabotage behavior is going to come in. And you might know intellectually that, that I shouldn't be doing this, but I do it anyway because I just can't help myself. Yeah. How do you manage imposter syndrome and in terms of when you're in the middle of it, mm-hmm. how do you how do you relate? How do you interact? How do you – I guess back to that vulnerability because there's – we can go one of two ways. We can kind of be really open about it but maybe not in a way that that does us – any great favors professionally, or we can try and put that mask on that we feel like hides us from the world, but really everyone it disconnects us. So, what's your process? It's a great question. If I was, if I was, if I tap myself back to when I was in corporate, and the expectation was that you had to behave in a certain way, and there were certain words that you had to use, and you had to carry yourself in a certain way, that's where I felt mostly that I had the mask on and it wasn't truly me. I think over time, the more I've got in front of people, the more I've run workshops, the more I've made mistakes and realized that it's not the end of the world. The more I've realized is, hey, I'm going to resonate with some and I'm not going to resonate with others. And I'm not going to come in here and pretend to be somebody that I'm not. Does that mean I still have doubts when I walk in and I see somebody that's walking into the room and think, oh my God, there's the chief executive officer of this organization. I don't actually feel worthy. I may not know anywhere near what that person knows. In fact, that person may have forgotten more than I will ever know about this particular topic, and yet they're in my room. What I try to do is to say, hey, just just, just be genuine. Just be authentic. Don't pretend to be anything other than who you are, and it will shine through. And it's thankfully, it's held me in good stead, particularly the last few years, because there's been a number of situations where I've, I've said the wrong thing or I've had the complete mind fart where I've just forgotten everything. And I've used it, though, as an opportunity to teach people about making mistakes and being okay standing in that mistake and owning it. 
because it's probably more of a strength because if other people look at you and think, oh my God, look at Tiff, she's doing that. She's speaking to a hundred people or she's doing this as she's running a group training session. I could never be like that. She Look at her. She's so professional. She's got her shit together. She's so slick in terms of her delivery. She's They're putting you up on a pedestal. Yeah. You're standing there doing what you're doing and thinking if they only knew, if they only knew. If they only knew. <laughs> so I, <laughs> does it mean that we still have bouts of imposter syndrome? Of course, right? I sometimes find myself having out-of-body experiences in the middle of a workshop where I'm talking to a group of leaders who have probably more experience than I do and I'm teaching them about certain concepts. I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm here. But I have to check myself and keep going because otherwise, if I get inside my head and make it more about me, I can no longer serve that group and help them through whatever they need to be helped through. So I'm mm. not going to be a service to them. Um, that's a long way of saying, yeah, well, I still have imposter syndrome, but I try. <laughs> my, my process is to push through it and say, I am what I am. I'm a work in progress. And I often say, and I often verbalize this, man, I'm one of the most flawed people on the planet, right? There's a lot of stuff I have no idea about. And I'm not going to pretend if you ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, I'm not going to make some garbage up. I'm just going to say, I have no idea. Mm. Fabulous question. How about we go and find that answer? Or let's find out where we can source that answer, at least make progress towards sourcing that answer. So um, I'm not sure if I answered the question, but that's my take. Yeah, I talk a lot about what you love is more important than what you know. And... Like I, I've presented on this a lot in kind of business networking meetings where we're just talking to small businesses and people that are out pitching and it's like what you what you love about what you do mm. is way more interesting and important than what you know because often you think about those business meetings we go to and it's like oh how do I how do I wave mine around the room so they think it's the biggest in the, you know, like I'm smart and I so start hearing about stats and all this crap that no one gives a toss about. You get to know someone, have a coffee with them and they tell you about what what their background is and, and you see the dots that connect them with what you do now. It's like, oh, I see why you love this. That's more important. When you can connect why you love, when you can explain to people why you love sales, which most people would just be like, oh, sales, not just just money, like you don't trust a car salesman, you know, but <laughs> when you when you actually know what connects you to what you do, then you can really just pull on those strings. I got I went in a a sales thing once. Uh I did a I did a little five day course. I'm not gonna name who it was with, uh, but I'd I'd written on my board, this was back in 2020 or 2021, and I'd yeah. written on my board I was going to do this three- or four-day course. It was a few thousand dollars. It was a big budget for me, and I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm ready. I'm going to – I wrote it on the board. This is happening. Hopefully I'll find someone to do it with me so I can have some like an accountability partner. And in the interim, I did a five-day smaller course online with this particular person, and it was delivered through social media, and the final stage was done on Zoom – and the final stage was a, just a brutal, hardcore, grotty sales pitch. And yeah. they said that. And it was an awful sales tactic. And I was, I crossed the course off of like, you just did yourself out of a $4,000 sale. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be sold to, like, I didn't ever want to sell like that. And that was understanding. That doesn't mean that I'm 
going to fail in business, which is what that message sounded like to a lot of yes. people. It was like, if you, you don't, don't do spend, my course, you're, gonna fail. If you're uncomfortable, if you are uncomfortable right now being sold to, then you're, you've got to get over your stuff in business. Cause this isn't like, I've just done the PH360 course on yeah. epigenetics where I'd learned about the stats and behavior of people. And I'm like, well, there's a high chance that 60% of people in your course right now are this particular type that yep. won't be pressured into to buying this way. This is a sales tactic for a specific personality type. So then you realize there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. <laughs> That's it. And I wasn't going to be scunned by that cat. But realizing that, you have to go, well, there's other ways out there and that just doesn't fit me. doesn't mean I'm – but we often we can have an experience like that and then a belief system gets attached to it. Oh, I'm actually not going to succeed in business because I don't have what it takes because he's That's an it. amazing salesperson and I don't yeah. do it that way, so I'm yeah. shit. That's it. That's it. And there are model different ways, right? There are there are hard, hardcore salespeople. There are uh, really soft salespeople. There are, soft, there are people who refuse to ask a customer – would they like to take the next step because yeah. they're fearing rejection or whatever the case might be? And then at the end of the day, it's all about connection. Now, if you connect with somebody and that person happens to be the right person, my belief is you'd be doing them a disservice if you didn't share a solution to a problem that they've identified or you've helped identify yeah. Yeah. to help them solve it. Now, it presupposes, of course, that they have the problem that they do want to solve, but if they don't, and you throw the solution at them anyway, that's where you can be perceived as being that dodgy, pushy sort of salesperson, right? Yeah. But from a salesperson's point of view, you've also got to have, this comes back to the belief, you've got to have a belief in the solution that you have. So you've got to believe in your products and your services. The problem with most organizations is they believe too much in the products and services and they think their products and services are the be all and end all, and they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's just cut to the chase and get over ourselves. All of us have great solutions, but it doesn't mean they're the best solutions in the world, right? Yes. You're going to resonate with some and you're going to resonate, not resonate with others. Our role is to figure out, do we have a connection and does that connection build a level of trust where that person is expecting you to provide them with a solution to a problem? And if you do that, it's highly probable that they're going to take the next step with you. If not... Yeah. They won't. It's as simple as that. And either way, it's okay because what's the worst thing you've done? You've just built another connection. Yeah. I remember as when I first started as a PT, I, I've, I felt weird and it, because I thought, why are you people paying me all this money when you could just Google something on the internet and come do it yourself? Like some of this stuff is just like it's, it's basic. I didn't get it, right? And because I was such a self-motivated athlete, it took for a time where I I can't remember when or why, but for whatever reason, I had to train a lot by myself. I didn't have classes. Maybe, and it, it wasn't, it was way before COVID, but I guess a similar kind of outcome. In the middle of COVID, all of a sudden, all of your, I guess, you know, the ability to have classes, coaches, all of that structure is gone and all you've got is yourself and your own decision-making yeah. to get up and move. And so that dipped into this big bucket of willpower I had around training and the habit all eventually it was like, you can't be bothered anymore. And then and that was, it was a moment like that where I went, oh, it's not about, it's not just, not just about what I know. They're coming because, well, A, they have, they have accountability, they get to show up to someone. B, why else do I show up to my coach? I show up to my particular coach because I enjoy his, his, 
personality, his insights. I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy the time with him. So I was like, oh, there's all this other stuff. It's not just about the, you know, six lunges and 12 bloody squats that we we program for someone. Like there's so much more to what we do yeah. that, and I think it takes a lot of time to learn. You don't really well, learn that overnight, do you? you no, just you think, don't. Oh. You don't. But if you then analyze, if you spoke to the people, and as you were talking, I'm thinking, well, when people want to be around you, Tiff, because they want to be close to the source of momentum, right? You are, and not, and we're not saying you're the oracle, but you you created an environment where people hope probably not, feel better. <laughs> I'm the oracle with serious problems with humanity. <laughs> but think about it. Why, why do we why do we associate with people? Well, we associate yeah. with people based on the environment they create and how we feel in that environment. Now, if they're ethical, if they're pushing you, if they serve you, if they love you, if they're doing everything to help you and serve you, then you're going to do anything you possibly can to be in their environment, whether it's mm. painful or whether it's not. And so, yes, you can quite rightly go on to Google or YouTube and learn anything you want to learn about anything, whether it be doing a podcast, um, learning how to box, learning how to public speak. But people want to associate with people because of what they can teach them. And it's not necessarily just the technique. It's the psychology behind the technique. Maybe it's part of the belief system that rubs off and we create lots of little tiffs. <laughs> yeah, but if you, if us. your belief system can, can, cause, cause I say this to a lot of people that if you don't have a high level of belief in yourself right now, find somebody who is going to mentor you, who's there to serve you, not to take advantage of you and take the belief that they have in you and that, that's the belief. You hang off that belief. Because if you have somebody, this is why the power of your network is such an important thing and who you choose to surround yourself with, right? Mm -hmm. If you have people in your corner who are there to push you, challenge you, support you, love you, then the belief they have in you, just by being in, an, in that environment, will almost by osmosis rub off on you, right? And so your belief system starts to increase. Yeah, That's why people want to be around others, right? And I was thinking just as you were talking then, it's not always just about I like I like them. It's often I like me better when I'm around them. I like the version of me that I am when I'm in that environment with that person. That, like that's way more important than liking the person because it doesn't make it doesn't take much of a change in behavior or circumstance for someone you like to do something wrong and all of a sudden you but if they're changing who you are and your relationship with yourself and I think that's a part of that I think the unconscious psychology of a PT mm. I think there's a huge amount of unconscious psychology that I that I'm just not aware of consciously but I know is happening yeah. in because I know how different I just naturally am with every single client of mine I know who I have to be and it's not deliberate yeah, but I just show up in a way, and and I and I'm top of mind is always what's their mindset and what would help it, what would yeah. make it better for them, what would open what question, yes. what what topics of conversation. We're not talking yeah. about the weather, like we're talking about deep stuff, and how can I leave them with conversations that change or open their mind up to something? Yes, which is servitude. It's not about you. It's about how do I serve this person? How do I help this person? How do I open the eyes of this person to mm -hmm. something that their belief system may have them believe is not actually true based on where they're at right now in their world, yeah. right? 
Now, if I can just open the lid just a little bit where there's a slither of light that comes in and says, maybe, just maybe, there's a possibility that I can do one more thing or I could do something slightly differently and it's going to be okay, then for some people, that's all you need, right? Now, if they do that and they work out that, hey, that wasn't so bad, then they think, okay, what have now we created? Potentially, we can now start to create a habit where if it's possible for this, then what else is possible for them? And that's why having somebody like you in their corner is such an important thing because you're there to serve them, but you're also there to challenge them and to encourage them to say, hey, do this extra one, do this. Just just jump outside the, the comfort zone because you just might find you can fly. I had a, a client start with me a bit over close to a year and a half ago now and this, that was 66 at the time and the amount of times I heard that age thrown in the last few, the, the first few, you know, I was like, I'm 66, you know, I'm 66. Bone on bone, now and now, you know all of the the list of things. And given that for for years and years and years, their ability to do a lot of things was wasn't there because of these injuries. Um, but my belief is, I mean, if you want to run, you could, if you wanted to run, we'd get you running. Yeah, myself and the people I know around me that can play a part in that. And if you really want to run, you'll get there because I couldn't run for fifteen years, and now I can. Yeah. Um, and it'll take work, and it may or may not happen, but that, like. I believe it would. Anyway, I, I turned up a couple of weeks ago, walk into the boxing ring and there, they're like little sprints up and down running and they look at me and he goes, oh, just running. He goes, I can, I, can, I can run back and forth. It doesn't hurt. He goes, all, that's, all that stuff we've been doing. I'm like, I know, I know. But every time he pulls the age cards, I'm like, I shoot that shit down. Like you don't get to speak like that in front of me because your own subconscious mind is listening. That book, that shit doesn't fly with me. (laughs) No, no. And they, and what that forces them to do is start to form a different belief, particularly around you, that in your environment, if they pull that card, they know that they're going to get a punch in the face. Metaphorically, uh, uh, no, and face, a real right? one. They they come to me boxing <laughs> at first. So, and this is the thing: they came to learn boxing, and we still do a lot of boxing. But there is a huge amount of just, just I guess you'd call it remedial. Like, yeah, they do a lot of strength and balance, and you know, they said, I I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk downstairs. It was starting to get painful to walk yeah. downstairs, and that. And he said, now I, you know, I'm up and downstairs. Super fit, super active, and I, that shit sets my soul on fire. How good does that make you feel? It's oh, just the it, best. Just awesome. And there's nothing, nothing that money can create that can even come close to that sort of feeling. Yeah. 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 So, Tiff, I'm uh, I'm conscious of time because you've got another podcast to get to. There was one question I've been itching to ask you, and, and it's a difficult question, So it's a, and it's also one without notice. We've been talking about beliefs the, this entire time, which is which is phenomenal. If you look back on the 730-odd episodes you've done, is there one episode or one person that, for you, has really had the the impact in terms of your belief system that you didn't expect? There's one episode. I always found it hard to to pick a favourite, but I had one late last year that blew my world apart. I went back and listened to it probably seven times. I had other people say they listened to it numerous times. There's a guy by the name of Stephen Jenkinson. I don't even recall where he popped into my awareness when I sought him out, but he he wrote a book called Die Wise, mm-hmm. and he talks about death, grief, and mystery. He came and performed in Melbourne three weeks later, and I went to that. And 
the most profound conversation about life and and he worked in palliative care or what he calls the death trade yeah for quite a few years and he's a wordsmith and just both in the way that he converses opens up your mind and almost just leaves things hanging in the air is that changed me that just and I'm going to go back and have another listen or probably several listens and I'm going to get him back on the show but that definitely and that was episode 695 if anyone wants to go listen to that it was it was just a game changer for me one of those ones I sat in the middle of it and thought is anyone going to be along for the ride on this or is this just a right time right place kind of moment for me where this yeah. is where I find this profound but other people won't and yeah. two two three years ago I wouldn't have clung to that conversation that would have been yeah. way beyond my ability to even have sat in the middle of I couldn't yeah. have articulated any I would have just been like what, yeah. <laughs> what, <do you> mean? <laughs> what? Um, so that just shows how we evolve right and how yeah. potentially our belief system can actually evolve with it and yeah we continue to explore and find find new avenues and and who knows what what else about ourselves as we go uh, go through this thing called life yeah. um hey this is been an absolute pleasure. I can't believe it's been two years. Um, it's been a phenomenal conversation to have you back on the podcast. You're an absolute superstar. Uh, for people who are listening to this and would like to know more, about, apart from jumping onto all the reputable podcasting platforms and also some of the dodgy ones, look up uh, <laughs> Tiffany Cook, Roll the Punches podcast. But Tiff, where else can people get a hold of you and uh, learn more about what you do? I can check out my website. Just redid it recently. So go and have a look this and tell me how great cool. it looks. It's uh, yeah. www.rollwiththepunches.com.au. You'll find me there and every on every other corner of the internet, unfortunately. <laughs> well, not every corner. Well, all right. you're all on LinkedIn and, and Instagram and all that sort of stuff, yeah. bit of Facebook as all well. The so, usual um, absolutely. Uh, Tiff, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, let's try and make it not two years again before we re reconnect. Definitely. Thanks, Darren. Anyway, mate. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.